Colorado in general and Denver specifically loves to pride itself on being one of America's most progressive. Many cite the evidence of Denver being the first city to pass recreational marijuana as evidence of this so-called progressive liberalism that the whites of Denver hold. However, just a few days ago, citizens of a fairly affluent neighborhood in Denver overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly voted to keep the name of this community that was named after a former mayor of the city who just happened to also be a prominent member of the Colorado Klan. Let me say that one more again. The Colorado Ku Klux Klan. You heard me right. Today on the Rage Podcast, we're going to talk about the racial and social implications of this vote and what social political lessons can be gleaned as we ask ourselves this question. Can white liberals be trusted to advance an anti-racist agenda? You are now listening to Rage. So check this, you're hearing about what's going on in Stapleton here in Denver, Colorado, and you have to say to yourself, or at least have to doubt what is true and who are your true allies and accomplices in this work, right? I mean, overwhelmingly, the property owners chose the status quo for the community. They voted 65% to keep its current name and 35% to change it. Across the country, efforts to not only change the names, but also to take down monuments to Confederate soldiers and generals have not come without controversy. In 2017, there were violent white nationalist-led protests against the city of Charlottesville, Virginia's decision to take down a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. I'm sure many of you remember that. That same year, similar statues in New Orleans had to be dismantled. Check this. In the middle of the night. So check it out. On today's Rage Rap, we talked to Genevieve Swift, the founding co-president, along with my good friend, the late Dr. Gregory Diggs, of the renamed Stapleton Group for All here in Denver, Colorado. Let's get this work, man. I have on the phone with me now uh, Ms. Genevieve Swift, uh, who is the founding co-president, along with Dr. Diggs, who I also knew very well, had a lot of respect for, for of the renamed Stapleton for All group uh, that was uh, the main drivers and organizers behind uh, changing the name in Stapleton. And I have her on the phone with me uh, this morning. Good morning, Genevieve. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm so happy to be talking with you this morning. We saw the votes. 64% of of your neighbors voted to keep the name. And I'm just wondering, how did that register for you? The apathy is terrible in the first place. But the the actual, like, yes, I'm going to actually take the effort to vote against it is is offensive. This is what I find interesting, Genevieve, is that if, we were to use this vote as a uh, canary in the mine to what the temperature is of this community, this 
mm-hmm. that, that rest in Denver, it wouldn't necessarily bode well for the, even those black people that are saying, listen, or white people that are saying, listen, there are more important issues at hand. But if we can't even get past naming, uh, like, how, can, how are you right. going to handle profiling and dealing with disparities and inequities? Right. And you, we can't even change the name, uh, which would seem like a much easier lift. In that sense, mm-hmm. is that discouraging for you? It is, and it's frustrating. You know, I think we all we all like to be seen fairly, and you know, I'm part of the problem. I'm a white person in Stapleton. There, there are a lot of things that. When I get really angry, a lot of it's pointed directly at me, even though it kind of comes out in another way. Um, and believe me, I'm plenty angry at the MCA and my neighbors at King's Vote for Change. Right. But, um, I digress. Given the result of this vote, can white liberals really be trusted to advance an anti-racist agenda? Well, first of all, I think... No, and I, I think that we knew that already. I think that the vote validates that, which is what is so upsetting because it just, it's just one more validation of that. Um, but I think that white liberals don't see that, and, um, and I see it now. Um, and I certainly, you know, I'm still, I've got a long way to go on my own journey, but I, I do see that now. I think white liberals are the problem um, a lot of the time because um, they get in the way. They're not, they're not getting out of the way. They're not helping. They're kind of good with the status quo and like to pat themselves on the back and, and, and think they're good people. And I think, I think we all think we're good people. Um, but, you know, there comes a time where you need to see things that are outside of your own experience. And then once you see those things, you need to do something about it. And so um, people don't, people hear us say white supremacy and they don't want to talk to us and they think we're aggressive and they don't like our tone and they tell us, well, if you can only do it this way or that way. And they say to us, but you have to understand that we're not racist. (laughs) Wow. You know, and so I, I think, yeah, the white liberals in this town are a huge part of the problem because I think like me, many people were raised in homes white people I'm talking about, because I know for sure this is not how you were raised. (laughs) Um, They were raised to just not talk about race. And that if you're not burning a cross, you're not a racist. And again, back to what you started out with pointing the finger at the South. I went to, I grew up in New York, on Long Island. And we were completely segregated on Long Island, completely segregated. I grew up in a wealthy white town surrounded by where the help lived. And the message that sent to me, because my parents weren't actively teaching me about white supremacy and racism and and our role in it, was, well, how come all these black people and these Latino people, how come they can't get their own cars? Why are they all riding on the bus? Why can't they get their act together? How come, how come they don't have nice houses? What's wrong with them? And, you know, how come they don't have good schools? How come, you know, and, and that was the message that was always sent to me. And so it's not the South. 
Um, and you can't move to a place like Stapleton and, you know, where we have the Green Book, which is the development plan, um, you know, and what Forest City did was they used it. That was their way to get the city to sign off on them developing this land was their agreement. And you can see what was prioritized, the new urbanism, the parks, the walkability, um, these were all made priorities, the variety of um, builders. But did they, did they mix the different types of housing together in a seamless way? Um, did they create seamless borders between our neighbors in North Aurora and in Park Hill and Col East Colfax? No, no. Is it, is it a diverse community? No, white people love to say that we're inclusive and diverse. And I mean, the fact, <laughs> in the face of saying to them, we're 80, I think we're 82% white, including the prison population. I believe it's 82%, wow. including the prison population. And then you add the privilege of all the money. And so, and so you get people in these meetings and they look you right in the face and tell you, how inclusive they feel it is because, I don't know, because they have one neighbor of color that they're friendly with. Which brings up a question, Genevieve. Um, and for those of you who are mm -hmm. just joining the, the podcast, I'm speaking with Genevieve Swift, who's the founding co-president of the renamed Stapleton for All group. We're talking uh, specifically about the, the recent vote that, that came up. And in that vein, and speaking of diversity, what impact... Uh, do you think it had to have your a black council person come out against changing the name? And one, did that surprise you? And two, do, do you feel like that provided cover, the necessary cover, for many of you, the white voters to say, listen, if a black guy doesn't think it's racist, then it can't be racist, then I'm just... To what degree do you think that, 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 that had an impact? So, hell yes. <laughs> no, I was not surprised, but my point was, and it still is, you are in a position of privilege as a councilman. And when you have constituents who are people of color, who are facing discrimination in your district, who are offended by the name, when you come out and you say, as a black man, I find that this neighborhood is welcoming and inclusive and la, 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 la. I told him on the phone privately, I said, I asked him, I said, so have you never, have you ever re uh, experienced racism in Stapleton? And he said, no. And I said, I don't believe you. And he said, are you questioning my experience? Which, you know, that's, it, it's not cool of me to question his experience. But I said to him, I said, I'm a white woman in Stapleton, and I see it all the time. I'm like, if I can see it, you know, I wow. said, I find it hard to believe. And we kind of left it at that. And, um, but the problem is, is that he is in a position of privilege. But when he says, as a black man... And then, and then, you know, that's, 
that really changes things for me because that makes me think of all the other people that I know who are black or people of color in 80238 and in surrounding communities who are so offended. Like Juju Nakuma says, it's like the KKK flag being waved in our face. And, and when he says that it, as a black man, it does not bother me, he's giving permission to all these white people to, to dismiss and invalidate the very, very real concerns and grievances and emotional response that people have to this name. And so that's what I have a problem with, with, with Councilman Herndon. And he knows that. So, Genevieve, I want to thank you for taking this time out to have this discussion with us. I know it's a very challenging discussion, uh, rife with, like you said, both the, the personal and the uh, and, and there are a lot of personal pieces to it. So I just really want to thank you for, for taking the time out and having this, this discussion with us. Thank you so much. You're somebody in the community that I really look up to. And I remember you pulling up to my house and Dr. Diggs and I and you went around with our little friends of Tom Gleason and we took pictures of the Stapleton brand. <laughs> and, um, and you were right, right there. And I remember I just, when you showed up, you know, Greg and I both, but I think especially me, we were just like, wow, you know, each soul here, you know, this is, this is good stuff. So, um, you know, you've been a supporter of us, um, you know, from the beginning and um, somebody in the community I, I really appreciate and look up to. So um, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk with you today. So nice to hear your voice and talk with you. Thank you. I appreciate that, sister. I really do. You take care of yourself. Yeah. You too. And here we are in the part of the show, movements, not moments. These are the action item steps of the Rage podcast. And this week, we've made it really easy. You only have one action item, and that is to join the Rage podcast on either Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever your medium is, however you get down, we'll take it. So there you have it. The first Rage Rundown is in the history books. We want to thank all of you for tuning in and checking us out. Stay tuned for the next Rage podcast as we continue to tackle current issues on race and bring you a fresh grassroots news and analysis perspective. I want to thank the whole Rage team for their tireless work and of course you the listener for tuning in and checking us out. Be sure to follow the Rage podcast on Facebook, Twitter and of course the Grams by clicking on the link inside of the podcast description. So until next time, remember all power to all people. Eight Soul, out. <laughs>